I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. I couldn't believe this is happening. Nature's deadliest organisms. I was absolutely horrified. They can hijack our bodies. I was just in shock. Disable our immune systems. This infection can kill a person in 24 hours. And eat us from within. I thought this is it. For those infected, they are the monsters inside me. Shara Ludlam is a single mom in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. There, she works at the local hospital. I worked in admissions in the hospital, and you see all kinds of patients come in the door. Shara is close with her mother, Louise Thomas, who lives in the nearby capital of Denver. She has two children, 8-year-old Taya and 10-year-old Tyler. Tyler is very full of energy, playing with his buddies, riding his bike, snowboarding, anything he could do to be outside. Tyler uh, enjoys fishing a lot, and he and, and I and Taya would oftentimes go to some of the lakes that weren't too far from his house. The kids had a chance to really spread their wings in that small town. It's really a great place for the kids to have grown up in. But small-town life won't shelter them from harm. One spring evening, something in the night startles Shara. I was putting Tyler to bed, and he was telling me that he wasn't feeling well. I took his temperature, and it was only about a 99. I worked in admissions in the hospital, and so I had a good idea that what he had was just a normal cold, so I wasn't very worried. So I gave him some acetaminophen and told him to wake me up if he wasn't feeling well later on, and then we all went to bed. But the following morning, Shara receives an unwanted surprise. I was getting ready for work and decided to check on him before I left. I took his temperature. It was about 104. 
working in the ER, I've seen children come in with that kind of a temperature, and at this point, I'm getting a lot more concerned about him. So, you know, I decided to call work and stay home with my son that day. Shara continues giving him acetaminophen. But 12 hours later, his fever is still raging. He was having trouble getting around the house to go to the bathroom. And I'm getting more and more concerned at this point because I just don't know what else it could be if this isn't the flu. Clearly, he was not getting any better. So I decided it was time to take him to the ER. Shara drives him to the hospital where she works. The doctor came in to see Tyler. There were some elevated blood tests that came back showing that he was definitely ill. And so they gave him a bag of saline, hoping that that would help with his dehydration. The same that it's just the flu and that he'll be better by the next day. I have a sense of relief and they just sent us home. But Shara's relief is short-lived. So the next morning I checked on him. He was feeling much worse. He's insisting that he needs to go back to the doctor. I'm telling him he's just going to get another bag of saline and that he can stay at home and rehydrate himself. And he was yelling at me, Mom, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. At this point, I am terrified. I've never had my son tell me those words before. So I grab him and we drive as fast as possible to the hospital. This time, the doctors are in for a shock. My coworkers are very scared for me at this point when they see us walk in the door and rush us back as fast as possible to see the doctor. I have no idea what's going on with him, but I know it's not the flu. I'm so scared and trying to keep my calm emotions so that my son doesn't feel like I'm freaking out. Doctors immediately measure Tyler's blood pressure. It's very low, and that's not a good sign. I was very scared. A sudden drop in blood pressure can deprive the brain of adequate blood supply and cause serious medical complications. ER doctors run multiple tests, but they draw a blank. I was so stressed and was so frustrated that here I am surrounded by hospital professionals, doctors, and nurses, and nobody had any answers for me. Doctors start Tyler on broad-spectrum intravenous antibiotics to combat whatever might be taking hold of his system. Then, only minutes later, Shara's colleagues at the hospital noticed something remarkable. The nurse came in to give him another warm blanket and discovered that he had a rash on both of his feet. It was about the size of the bottom of a soda can. We didn't know what was causing it, but this brought up a whole new concern. The blood vessels were starting to burst in his feet. They thought that he was going into septic shock. Septic shock is a condition that can lead to low blood pressure, organ failure, and even death. This alarming condition prompts Shara's colleagues to take drastic measures. As a last-ditch effort to help Tyler, Doctors medevac him alone to a specialist hospital 200 miles away in Denver. As Shara and most of her family drive to Denver, Tyler arrives at Children's Hospital. There, orthopedic oncologist Dr. Travis Hare and an entire medical team take on the boy's dire case. 
Tyler, when he first arrived here, was so severely ill that there was a very real chance that he could die within the first 24 hours. He didn't have a blood pressure, and he also was not breathing on his own adequately. Doctors put Tyler on life support. Shara, who is still on the road, receives a disturbing call from the hospital. I remember her telling me that his heart stopped. There's nothing you can do except cry. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ten-year-old Tyler Johnson's heart has just stopped. And although doctors bring him back around, his mysterious ailments are still gripping him. When Tyler's mother, Shara, arrives at the hospital, the sight of her son is a shock. Tyler was heavily sedated. He had a feeding tube, a breathing tube, several IVs already. They were telling me that they had no idea if he would ever wake up. And that was the hardest thing to hear. It was so scary. I can't even begin to describe it. Um, I held his hand. I didn't know what else to do. Tyler remains on life support as Shara and her mother Louise stay by his side. Then, after four days, Shara notices something devastating. He developed some blisters on one of his hands. It got so bad. It was hard to look at. And I remember praying, Lord, please don't let him die. Please don't let him die. The intensive care doctors looked at him along with the infectious disease doctors and identified this as clotting in small blood vessels. While doctors continue to search for the cause of his sickness, the pervasive blood clotting leads to a serious complication. His organs are starting to shut down. At this point, I'm wondering how much more can his body take if he's even gonna wake up? After five days of tests, doctors finally reach a diagnosis. Based on the fact that he presented with infection and the rash, Tyler, at meningococcal meningitis. Meningococcal meningitis is an inflammation of the brain and infection of the bloodstream caused by the bacteria, Neisseria meningitidis. It was the worst news I've ever heard in my entire life. It was incredibly scary. That was really, really tough, really tough. Inside Tyler's body, the bacteria travel through his blood vessels, releasing toxins that clog his bloodstream. 
His vessels begin to burst, and blood pours into his tissue, leading to his bizarre rashes and blisters. As his extremities lose blood and oxygen, his hands and feet slowly begin to rot. Meningococcal meningitis strikes 1,500 people a year in the U.S., with most cases affecting children and teenagers. The Neisseria meningitides infection can spread so rapidly that it can lead to death in as little as 24 hours. Day after day of sitting there watching his extremities die. I couldn't believe this was happening because just two days ago, we were going to the swimming pool and having a great start of the summer. Now, I don't know at this point if my son's even gonna make it alive. And I'm scared to death. But just how did Tyler contract such an insidious infection? The Neisseria meningitides bacteria often inhabit the nasal cavity. They're passed easily from person to person by sneezing or coughing. The bacteria are common and usually almost totally harmless. But in rare instances, the exact reasons for which remain unknown, the bacteria cross through the mucous membranes and invade the bloodstream, causing meningococcal meningitis and other medical conditions that often end in death. It could have come from anywhere. I will never know. The prognosis is not good. Most people don't survive from it. I had to say, and Lord, I know that you're gonna be with us on the other side of this, whatever that might be, even if it means that Tyler dies. In a last ditch attempt to save his life, doctors prescribe a new set of antibiotics. And for four days, Tyler fights for his life as the treatment takes effect. They started changing Tyler's medications. His symptoms seemed to be subsiding. The blackness of the rash had stopped growing up his extremities. And so they decided to try and see if he would come out of his coma. And that was a very scary moment because the doctors didn't know if he would wake up. And then comes the moment the family's been praying for. He woke up. I almost wanted to do cartwheels. It was the best moment of my life. But although his body is clear of the infection, the Neisseria meningitidis bacteria have left a monstrous mark. What he ended up with was death of the front of both feet and of the ends of the fingers on his right hand. And to stop his decaying flesh from spreading further, doctors must take drastic action. His feet were dying, so they were going to have to, to amputate. Doctors wheel Tyler in for surgery and amputate the affected parts of his hands and feet. Trying to prepare your mind for seeing your child with missing pieces and waiting for him to take that glance as well for the first time, that was really hard. It was heartbreaking to have to tell him. He cried. He cried a lot. I started freaking out. But when I got home, I kind of had to learn how to do everything over again. It took me a couple of months to learn how to rewalk. Through rigorous rehabilitation, Tyler Johnson can now walk again with prosthetics. The meningitis didn't really slow me down at all. 
Today I'm as active as I ever was when I was littler. Tyler still excels at his favorite sports. He's dealt with it so well. Tyler's very lucky. He could have died, he could have had brain damage, could be on dialysis. We, we couldn't have lucked out better. He's alive. Vaccines that prevent meningococcal meningitis are available and are recommended, but are not always compulsory. Some people are at higher risk of contracting meningitis than others, including people with weakened immune systems, childcare providers, and pregnant women. Because the infection develops so rapidly, anyone who suspects they have meningococcal meningitis should seek medical attention immediately. Sully and Joy Sullivan are a happily married couple living in Nakiski, Alaska. Sully works as a production operator on an oil rig, while Joy stays at home with their children, Charlie and Aiden. Sully works um, week on, week off out on the oil rig in the middle of the inlet. I love my job, but it does uh, come with some risks day to day. You gotta be on your toes at all times with the uh, types of machinery we work with out there. But when Sully isn't working, he's enjoying all that the wilds of Alaska has to offer. Sully is definitely an extreme experience type of person. <laughs> Sully stays in shape by doing sports and hunting. My recreational activities may be a little more dangerous than my, than my work. I started snowmobiling seven years ago, and you don't need to uh, find the adrenaline rush anywhere else, just in the throttle. But little does Sully know of the true danger that lies in wait in Alaska's wilderness. It's late summer, and Sully is away from home working the oil rig. It was halfway through the work week, and I was making a round on the platform, and as I was walking up the stairs, I had a, quite a tightness in my legs. That was definitely abnormal to have those kind of uh, aches and pains in my legs. I kind of felt like I'd you know, pulled muscles from overexerting myself. I was a little concerned at the time. Sully calls his wife back home. When he called, he mentioned that he had a little bit of fatigue in his legs. Sully is not a complainer. He has to notice something pretty significantly for him to even mention it. But I wasn't too terribly concerned just with muscle soreness. Sully endures his muscle soreness for the rest of the day. But the next morning, there is no improvement. I woke up and uh, it hadn't gotten any better. It actually kind of gotten worse. I tried massaging the muscles that were, were hurting, but it, it wasn't doing anything to help. I was uh, a little more concerned, you know, kind of wondering what the deal was. But you don't take off work for sore muscles. It's not exactly a go-home-for-the-day job. Sully heads out to the rig where he notices a disturbing new symptom. The light was just too bright for my eyes. The pain in my eyes was almost like somebody had them in their fist and just squeezing the tar out of them. I was really rubbing the sides of them a lot. That's when I really thought I was definitely coming down with, uh, with a flu or something. That morning, Sully calls his wife again. He mentioned that not only was he a little sensitive to light, but it actually hurt when he looked left or right. Although I'd never heard of anything like that, I thought maybe he was just under a lot of stress and that that was what was causing it. 
So I suggested he take a pain reliever. Sully takes some over-the-counter painkillers. And that afternoon, he completes his work week and returns home to his family. I don't think you could have a better feeling than when you walk through the door and your kids go, Daddy, and tackle you. But Sully's homecoming is anything but joyful. The level of noise they were making was really bothering me. I had become quite irritated. I think everybody knew that something was up because I'm not normally irritated with my children when they're trying to play with me. So I told the kids they needed to play in their rooms. I definitely needed to spend some time alone. I was irritated when he sent the kids off. I suggested that he might want to go to the hospital or to the doctor the following day just to make sure there was nothing wrong. I knew I was starting to get sick, but I didn't want to go to the doctor, and I thought I could just shake it off. I told her that um, I'd be fine tomorrow. I just needed to rest for the night. But late into the night, Sully's state takes an unusual turn. I'd been taking ibuprofen for the pain. It was not helping. My muscles were just seizing. Only comfortable position was almost like the fetal position. I was getting really worried. Sully has a very high tolerance for pain, but I suggested he take a Epsom salt bath, thinking it would loosen up those stiff and sore muscles. Sully follows her advice. I had gone downstairs to get one of our kids a drink of water, and I heard voices upstairs. I could hear Sully in the bathroom talking. And I knew he was in there alone, so it struck me as odd. Joy checks in on him and encounters an astonishing sight. He was scrunched up. He was talking about a dream he had had, but he was not making any sense. He was hallucinating. Pretty soon after he had finished talking, he said, I think I need to go to the hospital. And after that, it it really kind of goes blank. Joy rushes Sully to the Central Peninsula Hospital in Soldotna, Alaska. There, a nurse takes Sully's temperature. It was 104 degrees. That's when I knew it was uh, actually something quite serious. Temperatures this high can result in seizures, dehydration, and even brain damage. I was really surprised at how high his temperature was, but I was concerned as to what was causing the fever. And then the nurse said that there was possibility that he could have meningitis. Meningitis occurs when the tissues around the brain and spine swell. When caused by certain viral or bacterial infections, the condition can be highly contagious. I was very concerned for all the people, including me and the kids who had come into contact with him in the last few days. ER doctors order blood work on Sully. And Dr. Nels Anderson of the Central Peninsula Hospital is part of the team that reviews the results. When Sully's blood work came back, uh, surprisingly, there was no evidence of a bacterial infection. There was no evidence of a viral infection on it. He didn't have meningitis but there was a very high eosinophil count. 
Eosinophils are specialized white blood cells that become active when there are allergens or certain infections in the body. So doctors take a new approach. We had ruled out meningitis, but the unknown of what it could be was overwhelming. The doctor started asking a series of questions if he had been out of the country, if he had eaten any undercooked pork, if he had been hunting, and he had answered no to all of those. He asked me if I had eaten any bear meat. And I told him, yes, I had eaten some bear meat. Sully recalls that six weeks prior, he and his friend were camping when they were attacked by a bear and killed it. Alaskan law requires the men to salvage the bear's hide. But that's not all they salvage. We took some of the meat uh, off the bear to eat while we were at camp. And uh, he decided to cook his well. But I cooked mine medium rare. Little did Sully know, wild bears are dangerous even when they're on your plate. That immediately set off a red light as to what might be going on. Based on his history, eating the bear meat and uh, his eosinophilia, and especially the intriguing eye pain, which is unique to the disease, it seemed obvious he had trichinosis. Trichinosis is caused by a parasitic roundworm called Trichinella spiralis. Couldn't believe it. I was just in shock. It was very disturbing knowing that there were parasites in his body. The trichinella parasites hatch in Sully's digestive tract, where they grow into adult worms. There, the female worms produce larvae that burrow through Sully's intestinal wall, entering his bloodstream, which then carries them to his organs and muscles. His body sends immune cells to attack the worms, but the body's defenses also inflame the surrounding tissue, causing his sensitivity to light, body aches, and hallucinations. Trichinosis certainly can be a very serious uh, diagnosis uh, and, and have serious consequences. Parasite invades the heart and uh, causes it not to function well, and the patients go into cardiac arrest. Knowing that it could damage your heart permanently or, or your brain, I panicked. I thought, this is it. The first thing I thought about was joining the kids. That was kind of scary, not knowing what the future was going to hold for me. Doctors don't find any damage to his vital organs yet, but there's a catch. The trichinella parasite has found a very devious way of getting from host to host. Trichinella larvae live as cysts inside the muscle tissues of rodents. And when a carnivore, such as a bear, eats a rodent, the parasites end up in the bear's gut, where they reproduce. The parasitic larvae then migrate to the bear's tissues, where they become cysts. The trichinella parasites affect bears in the same way they affect humans. If the parasites infect the host's vital organs, the host can die. And when the bear's flesh is eaten by another creature, the life cycle continues. The trichinella parasite can live as a cyst inside human muscle for years. But since humans are at the top of the food chain, it is here that the parasite meets the end of its life cycle and eventually dies in the muscles. 
I was shocked that he would be carrying a parasite for the rest of his life. I was freaked out. Doctors prescribe a powerful antiparasitic drug called mebendazole. And the following morning, they discharge Sully. It took him two to three weeks to even regain, you know, strength to do normal activities. Six weeks later, Sully makes a full recovery. I still enjoy hunting and, and spending my time uh, out in the wilderness. But whether I'm going to eat black bear again or not, I, I don't know. <laughs> For the Sullivan family, life returns to normal. In the United States, the majority of trichinosis infections come from the consumption of wild game. The CDC recommends cooking wild game thoroughly by heating it to 160 degrees Fahrenheit or 71 degrees Celsius. A Texas mom faces a crippling condition. Nothing could have prepared me for that pain. I didn't know what was going on. I freaked. Crystal Brown is a 27-year-old single mom with a six-year-old daughter in Houston, Texas. And she's got one claim to fame. When I competed for the first time in the Miss San Antonio pageant and the Miss America system, I was a top 10 finalist. And then I switched over to the USA system, and I was voted Miss Congeniality twice. <laughs> Competing in pageants gave me the confidence I needed to be successful. It instilled in me that you should be poised and polished, and some of that has transpired into the professional woman that I am today. But Crystal's competitive spirit is about to be put to the ultimate test. One summer night, something jars Crystal from her sleep. I woke up in the middle of the night and it felt like someone had dropped bricks on my chest. I couldn't breathe through my nose. I've had asthma since I was six months old, but this felt a little different. I used my rescue inhaler probably three or four times, but I had a very restless night tossing and turning. Though her asthma medication helps ease her symptoms, Crystal feels the discomfort for the rest of allergy season. I knew I'd have to see a doctor about it. I went to the ENT. The doctor pointed out that I had a deviated septum. The septum is a piece of cartilage that separates the left and right airways in the nose. When deviated, it can cause complications. Mine had a curve on the nasal bridge, which was affecting my ability to breathe freely. The thought of not being able to breathe through my nose was really terrifying to me. The doctor proposes a solution to correct the problem. He told me that he wanted to operate. He was going to go in and possibly have to break my nose. I was not expecting uh, to hear that I needed major sinus reconstructive surgery. I was just terrified of the possibilities that my face could be altered but I decided the risk was worth it because I wanted to be able to breathe again and just get back to my quality of life. So one month later, Crystal goes under the knife to correct her deviated septum. But after the surgery, she discovers something disturbing. When I looked in the mirror, I freaked. It was so much packing that it was just protruding out of the nasal cavity and you could see blood at the end of it. It felt 
like someone had their fingers up my nose. I didn't expect it to be so tight. And I was so distraught, I was actually having an anxiety attack. Exhausted from the ordeal, Crystal heads home to rest. And three days later, she returns to her doctor for a follow-up appointment. And I went back to the doctor to have the packing removed. And he's pulling this packing out, and it's just raw. It's irritating the stitches. It was just, it's one of the worst experiences of my life. Nothing could have prepared me for that pain. But I walked out of that office thinking I did it. All my nasal problems are behind me. Crystal recuperates for 10 days and finally returns to work at the ad agency. On my first day back at work, I still was having trouble breathing and I was coming back from lunch. I remember feeling lightheaded and then I fainted right there in the lobby. I was really concerned and frightened as to why I collapsed. But the head of the agency actually walked in and saw me laying in the lobby. And rather than be sympathetic, she said to my coworkers, hurry up, get her out of here. Because we had clients coming in and this was an ad agency and image is everything. And having your employee laying on your lobby floor, that wasn't an image that she wanted to convey. I had this little girl to take care of, and I was really concerned that I could get fired for simply being sick. My coworkers helped me up. One of them actually drove me home. On her doctor's advice, Crystal takes a decongestant to aid her breathing and antibiotics to fight any potential infection. But she still struggles to breathe freely, and three months later, a new symptom emerges. One afternoon, I went into the bathroom to blow my nose. When I blew my nose into the tissue and I looked at it, it was flaky, green. There was a tinge of black in it. It was absolutely disgusting. I could not believe that I just blew this out of my own body. I mean, I even repulsed myself. And she's not the only one. I didn't really think it was noticeable to those around me until a coworker made a snide remark saying something like, no wonder you can't find a man. My ego was crushed. I was embarrassed. For two months, Crystal endures office humiliation. I got tired of all the little snide comments and felt bullied in the workplace. And I decided that I needed to find another job. Crystal soon quits her job for a new one. All the while, her breathing problems and nasal discharge still haunt her. So she visits an allergist with a discharge sample in hand. I felt like she needs to see this so we can tackle it because seeing is believing. I'm telling her I still had this wicked witch of the West green nasal discharge that was like peanut butter. So I pull it out and I show it to her and she said, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this. But she gave me a new medication and I went home and tried that. I was extremely frustrated. I started asking myself questions like, is this brain cancer? Is this meningitis? Am I going to be alive the next year? 
I didn't know what was going on and really had a bleak outlook for my future. Two weeks later, Crystal finds a new ENT specialist who searches for clues to what's ailing her. Here I am, I'm almost completely laid back in this exam chair, my nose is open. He looked at my nose and he said, oh, I see something white. So he sprays something to deaden the sinuses. He takes a tweezer-like object and he prepares me and says, I'm gonna go, you know, kind of deep, you're gonna feel pressure. And I remember thinking, what could possibly be up there? I was really puzzled. As the doctor pulls the object out, the sight of the monstrosity throws them both a curve. For a few seconds, we both were in shock. I was absolutely horrified. It was a remnant of nasal packing. It had an odor to it, and it was greenish-black, and it just looked like something that was rotten. It was nauseating uh, to know that this object had been in my sinus cavity. Inside Crystal's nasal cavity, white blood cells treated the nasal packing as a foreign agent. Unable to dispel the packing material, her immune system tried to wall it off from the rest of her body with fibrous tissue that grew around the surgical packing, causing her persistent nasal problems. I couldn't believe it. I just thought back to all those times I was congested and I couldn't smell, and I thought my body was failing me. And I got really angry that I had been walking around with something like that for almost a year. Every year in the United States, as many as 4,000 surgical tools and accessories are left behind inside patients' bodies after surgery. The most common object left behind is the surgical sponge. However, metal clamps, retractors, and even electrodes have also been found. But the nasal packing in Crystal's nose has contributed to the development of something even worse. My doctor told me that I had developed allergic fungal sinusitis. Allergic fungal sinusitis is caused by a fungus called aspergillus. This fungal infection results in subsequent swelling, leading to her green and black nasal discharge. There is no cure for it. I'm gonna have surgery every few years, and it's, it's devastating. But I try not to dwell on the fact that it's a lifetime condition. But despite the lingering effects of this permanent infection, 15 years later, Crystal now lives a full life. I got married a few years ago. I'm thriving as a business owner. My daughter's in college. So it's been a rough journey, but now that I know what I'm dealing with and how to manage it, uh, my days are looking brighter. For more blood-curdling monsters and their hideous habits, visit our website, animalplanet.com slash monstersinsideme.